house today. I am excited, excited, excited about this launch. I can't wait. I can't wait to, it's like we're having a baby all over again. And uh, I'm so excited for this baby to be introduced into this community, into this nation, into this world. Um, we had, uh, I was just last week in Charlotte, North Carolina. Shout out to North Carolina, South Carolina. And uh, we were down there for a young adult conference called Awaken Conference. And we took our family and our worship uh, leader. We went down there. And it was interesting because has anybody ever heard of the church, Elevation Church? Anybody ever heard of that church? Okay. So that's where they're located. That's where they were, they were birthed. And that church is 11 years old. And it's just interesting to see how a church that has a local impact, God has given them the platform to have a national audience. And it's not that that's our aspirations or uh, that we're trying to, to blow up. It's just that when God chooses to give you a platform and when God chooses to use you, it's amazing what he can do. And we are in love with the east side of Pasco. We are grateful to be on this side of town. And we don't believe that new movement is just for East Pasco, but we're gonna love on East Pasco and we're gonna love on the people and we're gonna let them know that they are a part of God's family. This is home for them. And so we're excited. I mean, we're literally just getting started. And so with great things to come, I'm anticipating that uh, God was very clear about us being obedient and us doing what he wants and he will do the rest. And so uh, I, did, I really didn't intend on continuing to talk about this open invitation, but it just wouldn't let me go. And so I want to stay in this, this, this concept, this thought of an open invitation. I think I'm going to continue it until our launch day because it's been making so much sense to me that God really gives us an open invitation. There's so many metaphors in scripture for how God sets a table and he invites us to banquets and he says, come and eat with me and be with me. And so this is an open invitation for you uh, in our preview service to, to help us. You can help us today. Even if you attend another church or you're going to another church, you can help us. You know how you can help us? By giving us all your money. No, I'm just playing. That was just a joke. It's not true. No, by giving us feedback letting us know what we could do to improve, how we could get better uh, so that we can reach. Maybe there's people you know who say, you know what, Pastor, I think they would like it if this was shorter or this was longer. Now, we may not do everything, but at least we get an idea to know where we can improve, and especially not from some of the church folk perspective. We love you guys, but we're talking about people who are maybe someone in your household that's uncomfortable with church and how we could do better. So make sure you download our app. There is an opportunity, I think this says something on there that says you can click and give us some feedback. So I want to get into the message. Let me pray and let's get started. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the presence of God in this moment, in this day, in the lives of your people. As we prepare today to hear what you have to say to us, would you speak to us? Would you make it clear? Would you make that invitation irresistible? So that at the end of the day, we will give ourselves completely to you and, and accept what you are inviting us to. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let the church say amen. So I want to talk about an open invitation to know the truth. The truth is a very interesting concept, especially in our modern days, because 
truth in a lot of ways is, uh, from our society's perspective, relative, right? Relative used to be a little people would kind of believe in more of an absolute truth, that there was one truth and there was one thing. But as society has changed, as generations are different, uh, today we kind of live in a society where there's such a thing called relative truth. In other words, the truth is relative to you and to me. In other words, I have a sense of truth or an understanding of truth that might be different than yours, but it doesn't mean it's not true. It just kind of is changing the way we think about authority. It changes the way we think about information because we can sometimes struggle with to know what is true. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Just because someone says it doesn't mean it's true. We all have perspective. We all have history. We all have a context that we come from and in our different cultures and context, there are some things that are true that may not be true to anybody else, but they're true just the same. But we serve God and God is the only one who has the truth. He's the only one who knows the truth because God's the only one with a complete perspective. You and I have lived in certain parts of the country or even the world, but we have a very limited perspective. We are not all knowing, we're not all seeing, we're not all powerful, but we serve a God who is, whose context is not just in the world, but in history, in the, in the ages of eternity. God understands the truth. And it's amazing how the truth is standing on truth. Because God can't lie. God can't deceive anyone. And so what was true then is true now and true, and it will be true then in the future. As the Revelation describes Jesus as the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. So truth, we serve a God that I'm thankful that he knows the truth. That's the advantage we have as believers. It's not that we are in ourselves are wiser or stronger or have more perspective, we just get to cheat. We just get a cheat code. We just need to get to ask God, now what do you think? Now here's the reality about the truth. The truth hurts. Truth hurts. I'm glad that God knows the truth because I, I grew up and if I wasn't careful I would have believed some of the things that someone told me. I, I was thought that because my mom was a single mother uh, for most part of my life that I was going to, I was in a broken home. I was in a dysfunctional place. I was taught I was going to be a gang member. I was taught I wasn't going to graduate from high school or college. I, someone told me the truth is you are a statistic. You're not going to make it. You are a marginalized person. You won't be educated. You just need to find your way through. But how many of you know that we serve a God who knows the truth? And the truth said, no, I have a calling and purpose for my son. Some of you have even made mistakes in your life. And that mistake took over and began to tell you, no, you're never going to get over this. You're never going to recover this. You're not going to get through that. You might as well just hang it up and just stay where you are. But God said, no, let me tell you the truth. The truth is you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. You are my child. You're in my hands. And as long as you have breath in your body, you have a second chance. So I love that God knows the truth. But the reality is the truth hurts. 
sometimes. Because the truth that God offers us comes with expectation. It comes with invitation. Because God says, if you want the truth, it's going to change the way you live. It's going to change the way you think. It's going to change the way you operate. It's going to change the way you make decisions. It's going to change the way you spend money. It's going to change what you do. And so I want to tell you today that God is giving an open invitation for us to know the truth. What if I told you there were some things you thought were true, but they were really a lie? What if I told you there were some things in your life that you thought was a lie, but it was really the truth? What if there are some things that you have grabbed onto and gravitated towards and said, well, that's just my personality. That's just how I am. That's just the way men are. Come on, guys. Men don't cry. Anybody ever been taught that growing up? Men don't cry. Shake it off. Stop crying. Truth is, men do cry. Brother in the back said, what? Men do cry. That true men do cry. True men are in touch with their emotions. True men understand what it means to be vulnerable. What if I told you that some of you believe the lie that as a woman, you don't have to take care of yourself. You just take care of everybody else. What if your 40-year-old son is not your baby anymore? Church getting quiet. That's my baby. No. That's a grown, you fill in the blank man. There are some things that we have gravitated towards, and God wants to release us by offering us the truth. There's a story. There's a, there's a person in the Bible. Uh, this story, that this passage that God led me to in Exodus chapter 2, this man named Moses. It's a very interesting story about a man named Moses. This, this man was born uh, a Hebrew. This was his nationality, his race, his religious upbringing. He was born that way, but his people were living under oppression in a country called Egypt. Y'all know what Egypt is. And the Egyptians were oppressive, and the Hebrews were slaves, and there was a fear from Pharaoh, so he says, I'm going to destroy all the children. And his mother had a plan under the leading of God that she sent her baby out in a basket. I don't know about you mothers, that must have been terrifying to put this child in a basket and send him out on the Nile River. She watched the basket, and it so happened that the Lord directed the waves and the currents so that this child ended up into the hands of one of Pharaoh's daughters or one of Pharaoh's family members. And the, uh, though that country believed in gods and the river gods and gifts, and, and so they believed that the river god had gifted this woman with this child, and she took this child and raised him in the house of Pharaoh. But God would have it that whilst moms and the uh, sister was lurking around, that word got out that the baby needed to be nursed, and this woman was able to nurture, nurture her child. And I'm sure she was telling him little stories and teaching him Hebrew and doing all those things. And so Moses grew up in the house of Pharaoh. I want you to understand that Moses grew up in the White House. Your boy grew up in Buckingham Palace. 
okay? He, he had the finest education, the finest silver. It was like coming to America, right? And this brother, this brother had it going on. Something happens in his life where he gets introduced to the truth. The truth is that he is not an Egyptian, but he is a Hebrew. The truth is that something was wrestling inside of him, and he was fighting a little bit this, this urge and this sensation to remain an Israelite. The Bible says he went out to look at the suffering of his people. It's easy to be in positions where we can forget the suffering of our people. It's one thing to grow up in East Pasco and then to get a job and move out to Hanford and live out in South Kennewick and forget about East Pasco. It's one thing to forget about where you came from, to forget about people who prayed for you, to forget about people who stood in line and got hit upside the head with rocks so you could vote. It's easy to forget about people when you're living in the palace. But the truth is, you're a Hebrew. It's interesting how this this metaphor of Egypt and how it wrestles with Moses is really the struggle I would suggest that some of you have. That you know you're not Egyptian. Come on, you can't dress like Egyptians. You can't dance like Egyptians. You can't party like Egyptians. You can't drink like, like Egyptians. Let's just be honest, deep down inside of you, when you're in the fullness of Egypt, something about you says, I don't fit here. I got to work too hard to really fall in love with Egypt because there's a seed of righteousness inside of you. There, there's a reflection of the, the, of the king, the creator inside of you, and you can't run from it. You can't ignore it. You can't cast it off. It's hard. To pretend you're not made in the image of God. And Moses is wrestling with Egypt. He's feeling some kind of way about Egypt. And so he goes out and he discovers that his people are hurting. Let me take you to verse 11. I got a few points I want to share with you because I want you to understand that God is inviting you, giving you an open invitation to the truth. He says, if you want to know the truth, here it is. If you want to know what's really happening, here it is. If you want to know your future, here it is. If you want to know perspective, if you want to know what's happened in your family, and that's the reason you can't shake it, because it's three and four and five generations tucked in there that I'm trying to pull out so I can repair and I can restore through you. I really want to know what's happening. If you want the truth, I'm going to give you the truth. So let's see what happened to Moses, because Moses found something out here in verse, I'm going to read it on the screen, here in verse 11. So this is uh, Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. The Bible says, many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. He saw how hard they were forced to work during his visit. He saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Egyptians, Hebrews. After looking in all directions... I said that wrong, didn't I? He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, right? Yeah. After, yeah, I wanted to make sure. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. 
And he done killed somebody out of a sense of injustice. He saw that the Egyptian was beating the Hebrews. Something in him was a sense of injustice, and he ended up killing him and hiding him in the sand. Then he sees two Hebrews fighting. Sees them fighting. He saw them fighting. He said, why are you beating up your friend? Moses is trying to, I'm sure he had his Martin Luther King voice on. He said, brothers and sisters, we shouldn't act in this way. Injustice is all around us. And you two brothers are fighting each other. Moses said to the one who had started the fight. Then the man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Actually, Moses was kind of a prince. Technically. <laughs> See, the brother has some information. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Now, those was fighting words. I'm just saying. Now, he's, he's starting some stuff with Moses. Then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. Moses doesn't take the low-hanging fruit. He starts thinking, oop, the word has got out that I killed the Egyptian. Don't you appreciate the fact that I killed the Egyptian? You ain't going to say anything about me? Helping out another brother? You just going to dog me out like that? You just going to put my business in the street? You just going to threaten me? And sure enough, Pharaoh had heard what happened, and he tried to kill Moses. See, God's making an open invitation to the truth. And I want to show you something in John chapter 17, because the first thing I want you to understand is that the truth is a lifestyle. The truth is a lifestyle. Let's go to John 17, and there's something that Jesus prays uh, when he prays for his disciples, when he prays for us. This is Jesus' prayer. He says, I have given them your word. He's talking to his father. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you, listen to what Jesus says, to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Here's the key verse, verse 17. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Jesus said, and I will give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Another translation, if you're familiar with it, says sanctify them by their, your truth. In other words, the truth has a process. It has a lifestyle attached with it. That you walk in the truth in a certain way that God makes you holy through it. There's a purpose. There's a way that you live. Look at Psalms uh, 86 verse, I believe it's verse 11. The psalmist writes, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I might live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. See, Moses, there was a truth inside of him, as I mentioned earlier, that was resonating with him. Moses had a heart for justice. Anybody got a heart for justice? Anybody see something wrong and get mad? I get mad all the time about stuff like that. But see, Moses' lifestyle wasn't according to the truth of God's word. So his truth, 
his calling to seek just, ju justice led him to violence. He killed the Egyptians. And then he sought justice and justice again. And then what does he do? He runs up on these Hebrews and tries to intervene. But his intervention didn't work. Because how he was built and who he was was not in accordance to the lifestyle that God wanted him to live. He was Egyptian. He was flowing in his Egyptian practice. He was solving problems like an Egyptian. He was intervening like an Egyptian, even though his heart was being stirred by God. And if I could just speak to someone to tell you that God is in making an invitation to you to know the truth so that your lifestyle can match the calling that he has in you. That the marriage you want doesn't work if you follow Egyptian principles. The way you want to raise your kids, they won't raise, be raised godly. They'll be raised godly and Egyptian. Because you've got to follow the lifestyle that God is introducing. And the truth hurts. And the reality is that the lifestyle that God is offering you is countercultural to this world. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to them. And it's not supposed to. Because we live by the truth. We honor the truth. And the truth has a lifestyle. And so Moses makes a mistake. He kills the Egyptian. And then he tries to intervene with the two Hebrew Israelites. And they call him. Then the Bible says in verse 15 that he left. And the Bible says he, he flees Pharaoh. And I want you to know that's difficult to do. It's not easy for him to do. He flees and he finds himself in the land of Midian. Now, Midian was a, a town not too far, or, or several miles, or, sorry, far away. I was going to say not too far. Not too, it's very, very far away. And he finds his way there. And as we were reading in 15, Moses fled from Pharaoh, went to the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down by a well. Now, something interesting happens here. Something happens to Moses. See, he can't seem to run away from injustice. He, everywhere he goes, he just keeps running into it. He gets to this well, and there he sees some sisters who were uh, under the priests of Midian, who his name was Jethro. He has a different name, two names really in the Bible, but we know him as Jethro. And now the priest of Midian had seven daughters who came as usual to draw well to fill water from their father's flocks. So he didn't have any sons. The priest of Midian had all girls, and he had no sons, and so they had to pick up the duties. They had to do what they had to do. So this is what happened. But some of the other shepherds came and chased them away. These women were not being respected. They were being taken advantage of. And the, when they, it was time for them to draw the water, the other shepherds would come and push them out the way and because the women really couldn't do as what they probably wanted to do. So Moses, what happened? Jumped up. So now wait a minute. Here's injustice. It comes back. He rescued the girls from the shepherds. Then he drew water for their flocks. So Moses is sitting there. He sees this injustice. He can't help it. But what happens? 
he jumps up, he intervenes, and thank God he didn't kill nobody. Now, the reality is, is Moses wrote the book of Exodus, so he may have left that out. I don't know. <laughs> Moses could have dropped a couple guys and just let, I'm going to leave that part out. I don't want to put that part in there. We don't know what happened to the shepherds. Here's another point I want to give you. The truth has a language. Truth has a language. See, see, you can tell when it's the truth. Let's just be honest. We don't have a hard time recognizing truth. We just don't want to listen to it. We, we know what's right. The truth speaks. It has a certain sound. It has a, you know when it's truth. Come on, sisters. You can look at your kids and know they're lying, and they could be asleep. You know what? You're lying about something. I've seen, I'm, my mom has been in a whole nother state. Oh, y'all got the same mama, huh? <laughs> Called me, asked me three questions. I was shook. Found out all my dirt. Just something about a sister. Wait a minute now. I know something is wrong. The truth has a language to it. You know when you look at certain people, you're not telling the truth. And it's the thing. We think everybody can hear the truth except for us. We, we think we can hide. Everybody knows they lying. Come on now. You are front. You cannot afford that jacket. <laughs> no, that's not right. That's kind of judging a little bit. See, he's sitting there. He's watching this develop. And he recognizes, I need to act. See, God has not forgotten about Moses. God is pushing something in. He's redirecting his steps because he wants Moses to arrive at a certain place. The truth has a language. Well, let's keep going. So he rescues the shepherd's daughters. And then they got back to Ruel, which is Jethro. Their father asked, why are you back so soon? And this is interesting because he's aware of the problems they have at the well. He knows, and he probably doesn't have the influence to do anything about it. He's like, man, you guys are back early. How did y'all get the sheep and everything watered that quick? And then she says, an Egyptian, because Moses had his Egyptian clothes on. I'm talking about brother had designer clothes, right? This is, this is Pharaoh in Pharaoh's house. They said an Egyptian rescued the shepherds. Uh, us from the shepherds, they answered. And then he drew water for us and watered our flocks. Jethro said, where is he? Now look, that is a very good question for a man with seven daughters. Y'all reading that? They said, where did y'all meet a brother that's going to jump up and protect you and draw your flock? Where is he? Why did you leave him there? That's another sermon right there. Why did you leave that brother at the bank? That was the brother you needed to talk to. <laughs> so why'd you leave him there? Come, invite him to come and eat with us. See, the truth, Moses accepted the invitation. He settled there with him. And in time, Ruel gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah, to be his wife. See, the truth has a location. 
See, the truth is located in Midian. It's not located in Egypt. And sometimes God has to bring you out of Egypt and bring you into Midian so that he can give you the truth. I want you to understand what happened for Moses. Moses is, has grown up in the house of Pharaoh. The brother eats king crab for breakfast. The brother's eating filet mignon. Okay? He's got prime rib for his tacos. Are you feeling what I'm saying? He's got, he's got everything. He's used to eating well. He's used to dressing well. He's used to an army. He's a commander. He's educated. He's got a PhD. Listen, Moses is used to the finer things in life. And now God has called him to Midian. He's traded in his army for sheep. And look, he, he starts looking at Zipporah, right? And he sees Zipporah. Now, this, this isn't the kind of sister that is used to Egypt, right? The, the Egyptian sisters, right? They had the finest perfumes, nails done, hair did, right? That was like Cardi B. This brother found Miss Seely from The Color Purple. Y'all don't know what that is. Don't, don't watch that movie. <laughs> he went from Cardi B to Whoopi Goldberg. Now, look, I'm not trying to say, no, young Whoopi, okay? No shame on any sisters. Be women are beautiful. I'm not putting anybody down. I'm just talking about Zipporah was a shepherdess, right? She, she had some muscles. She may not have got her hair done every single day. But I bet you when she was fixing that meal, I bet you she went in that tent. Right? Come on, ladies. She went in our tent and got, that, got the thing hooked up and came out for Moses. And so Moses now sees something different. He sees a different type of woman. He says, well, I see the woman that can, that can kill. Yeah, do something. Kill a couple wolves if I need to. <laughs> I, I see a woman who can, who can lift and carry the same burden that I can carry. See, truth has a location. And sometimes you will not get the truth in Egypt. You're not going to get the truth on Facebook. You're not going to get the truth on Dr. Phil. Get the truth in Midian. Here's my last part. I love the way this ends. So as that verse said before, Moses sticks around. He hangs around for a while. The Bible says in time, he says, you know what? I'm going to listen. I'm just going to settle here. Um, he finds a bride. He says, I'm just going to settle down. And this should be in verse 17. He says, I'm just going to settle down here. I'm just going to chill here. No, verse 21. We're still there. And then in verse 22, later he gave birth to a son. And he named him Gershom. And for he explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. Look, listen, listen to the language here. He recognizes that while he grew up in Egypt, he wasn't really an Egyptian. See, Moses was a fugitive before he ever committed a crime. He was running and he was wrestling and God brought him to Midian. And so she gave birth to a son. And here's what the Bible says after this. That years passed and a king, the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out 
to God for help, and their cry rose up to God. Here's my favorite. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Forty years had passed. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. You see, the truth has a later. See, this is what's happening. The people of Israel are crying out for deliverance. And God's like, just wait a minute. Moses finds himself in Midian. And God begins to deconstruct his Egyptian mentality. And he begins to relearn the truth and the lifestyle that he's provided for Moses. And Moses' lessons that he learns in Midian are for the next 40 years of his life. And he has no idea. God has destined Moses to be the deliverer. And Moses has no idea. Moses is just keeping sheep. Moses is just dealing with his issues. Moses is just raising his kids. And what he's doing is he's memorizing that, as that desert area because that's the same desert area that the people are going to come through. And the lesson he learned with the stubborn Hebrews that were fighting each other is that he's going to have to deal with some stubborn-headed Israelites who want to be out of Egypt but don't want to let go of Egypt. And every single lesson that he learned was, was preparing him for his later. I want you to understand that the truth God is offering you is not just for right now. It's for later. Don't get stuck on right now. Don't dwell on right now. Think about legacy. Think about future. And the decision you make for God now is a decision for somebody else in the future. That's why it's important for you to get through your addiction. That's why it's important for you to get through your marital strife. That's why it's important for you to try to figure out how to raise your kids. Because somebody else is going to need it. Somebody else is going to need somebody who's been through something. And if you just accept the invitation to get the truth now, God has something in mind for you later. What I want to tell you is that there's an open invitation to know the truth. God is saying, I want you to know the truth about this thing. You're wrestling with it. You're dealing with it. But you got to understand, I have something better for you. And if you can just embrace Midian, if you can just get to the place where I can set you aside and speak truth to you and wash it over you and rinse you from the stench, stench of Egypt, I can prepare you to go back as a leader. See, Moses wasn't going back to Egypt like, ooh, she's fine. Moses wasn't going back to Egypt looking at property. Because Pharaoh had died. He was no longer a fugitive. Pharaoh had left him alone. Because when he goes back, nobody arrests him on sight. They know it's Moses. Moses went back with purpose, with vision. He had an encounter with God that he didn't know was coming. And God said, this is my man. I don't have plan B. And I'm trying to tell you that everyone in this room, God is saying, I want to invite you to the truth. New Movement is not a church that's going to help you pretend to be a Christian. You're going to get your feelings hurt. 
Somebody's going to say something to you you don't like. Somebody's going to tell you something you don't like. And it's not because we don't like you. It's because we love you. And the truth is we see something in you that you don't see. If you can just get to Midian and allow God to speak to you and show you what he has for you. And so God told me today to give an invitation. He said, give an invitation for the truth. And can I just warn you, the truth is going to hurt. It ain't easy. It's painful. But the truth is going to set you free. There's a lifestyle that God says, I'm going to bring you through this. And when I bring you through this, you're going to know the truth about who I say you are. And not about what your mistakes or anybody else says you are. So I want to make an invitation today. I want to pray for somebody in this room who needs to decide, you know what, God? I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to allow you to take me to Midian so you can work on me. Somebody in here needs to make a life decision, a life change to give God their life. He doesn't care. Don't clean it up. Just give it to him and let him introduce you to a new lifestyle. So I want to ask you, ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. There might be somebody here today who's saying, God, I want to receive that invitation. God, I, wanna, I want to be the one that walk in the truth. I know the truth is going to hurt me, but I want to know it nonetheless. And so I'm praying right now, and I want to ask you, if you know that that's you, you want to accept that invitation while nobody's looking at you, nobody's worrying about you, just slip your hand up in the air so I can see it, so I know who I'm praying for. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Father God, today, right now, we're receiving an invitation. We're receiving an invitation to know the truth, the truth about who we are, the truth about who you are, and the truth about this world. Lord, there are leaders in this world who are walking around fabricating that they know the truth. There are celebrities who think they know the truth. There are smart people who think they know the truth. There's rich people who think they know the truth. But the truth is, you're the truth. And we love you. And we submit to you. And so today, right now, we receive the invitation to know the truth in the personhood of Jesus Christ, who will reflect to us everything that you think about us. And the Bible teaches us, Lord, that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we have grace, that we have freedom, that we have joy, and that we have an inheritance in you. And so we accept the truth about it today, whatever it is for us, that we will leave here knowing that we have a God that is with us and will never leave us. And we thank you and we honor you in the name of Jesus. And somebody said amen. Amen. Come on, let's just give God the praise for someone who made the best decision of their life.